Teal Talk Radio Season 5, Episode 14. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 14 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hetton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hetton. Good morning. Hello, Lynn. So good morning to our guest also. Today we're speaking with Ellie Avishai. And Ellie Avishai from The Learning Accelerator and also a co-author of a recent white paper, Look Both Ways, a framework to help education leaders navigate through competing approaches to system-wide change. Ellie uh, is a partner at The Learning Accelerator. She's formerly the founder and director of iThink, a K-12 initiative at the Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto, that teaches students, teachers, and district and school leaders methods for critical and creative problem solving. And congratulations to Ellie as she recently earned her doctorate in educational leadership from Harvard University. Good morning, Ellie. Good morning. Thank you for having me here. So a little bit more about the Learning Accelerator. It's a nonprofit that believes each child in America must have an effective, equitable, and engaging education that is personalized, informed by data, and mastery-based. The Learning Accelerator works to address the common challenges educators and school systems face in implementing blended and personalized learning at scale. So welcome to the show, Ellie. Thank you. And uh, I remember a couple months back, I believe, when Look Both Ways came out, uh, we took a look at it and said, we need to make a connection here and have a conversation. Looks really <laughs> interesting. So let's start our conversation with a personal story about how you got interested in this work of system-wide change. Why is that important to you and to the Learning Accelerator? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think my interest in system change probably goes back about 20 years um, to when I was working as an educational assistant in special education in a high school in Toronto, which is where I'm from. Um, and I had a student that I, I really loved. His name was Frank. And he was a kid, high school student, who like really carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. He was a really serious kid. And whenever he brought me tests or pieces of homework that he'd done that he hadn't done well on, I would ask him, you know, how he felt about it. And he would say something like, oh, I'm just dumb, I guess. Aww. Or, yeah, right. Or my teacher hates me. And, you know, at, at age 20, when I was so optimistic and full of like energy, I, I couldn't understand where he had developed such a defeatist attitude. Um, and then one day I walked into the resource center where, where I worked and I overheard a teacher saying to him, well, you know, it's great that you want to be a doctor, but why don't we talk about what your realistic options are? And I was so furious at that moment. And it was sort of the first moment in my uh, professional career where I realized how deeply systemic these issues are, that it wasn't just about this one teacher and this one kid, that this teacher actually was part of a system and she thought she was doing him a favor, mm. you know, and he thought that he was learning the right lesson about himself. Um, and so that's when I started thinking about how important it is 
to, yes, do sort of individual work with students, but also look at systems of change and how everything connects together and that these decisions that we make really ripple through systems. Um, and that's really why I love working at the Learning Accelerator, because our mission is really focused on that. Our mission is, is connecting practitioners and leaders with the stuff of system change, with the knowledge and the networks and the tools that help them transform K through 12 education, um, you know, basically helping them learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And so we really believe that raising leaders' voices and amplifying the power and scalability of the work that they're doing is what drives system change. So um, thinking about system change and looking at your paper and the way your paper is organized around seven key questions, you know, how did you arrive at those questions as being the important questions for leaders who are thinking about systems change? Yeah, I mean, one thing that's important to say is that these are definitely not the only questions, right? Um, and and that we started the research um, for this white paper because we kept hearing um, leaders that we were working with that were implementing new innovations like, like blended or personalized learning um, in their school systems. We kept hearing from them that there are lots of frameworks out there, but less guidance in terms of what pathways to take. Mm. And so we kind of were interested in seeing if we could discover that. So we started by asking really just very simple open questions to, to district and CMO leaders. Um, you know, what are the key decisions that you've had to make as you've done this work? What made it so, what made those decisions so important? Um, how did you think your way through them? You know, we really didn't have any preconceived ideas about what we would hear. Um, but then once we once we started hearing about what they were proud of and their barriers and et cetera, we noticed a couple things. One, that there was a lot of overlap in the challenges that we heard. We kept hearing the same challenges again and again and again, obviously, which ultimately became these seven. Um, and we also found that they tended to frame their challenges as decision points mm -hmm. between sort of competing approaches to taking action. Um, so I'll give you an example. You know, we would hear something like, well, we're facing the challenge of how to scale innovation equitably. Like that's our big challenge. Mm -hmm. And part of what makes that difficult is that we really need to get resources and supports both to schools that we feel need it most, but also to those that are the most eager or ready to receive them. And it's great when those two things are the same thing, but sometimes they're not. And so how do you set up an implementation process that enables you to manage that tension, right? So these were just seven of the most common challenges like that, that we heard again and again. What I loved about the the, the white papers, the way that it's organized, and just for our listeners, since this is in oral experience, uh, definitely go check out the paper because visually it's very appealing. And the way that it's organized, it's very user-friendly. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I really engaged with a lot of these questions because we're dealing with a lot of these same uh, challenges and the way that you um, mm. these sort of opposing sides, so to speak, uh, really, really connected with that. And one of the the, my favorite questions was actually the first question, um, where you're dealing with these concepts of centralized implementation versus decentralized implementation. Mm -hmm. So for our listeners, share what did you learn about these sort of competing priorities and how leaders might effectively combine these approaches? So it's, it isn't an either or an or. Right. Um, well, 
you know, you're not alone. So the the concept of centralized versus decentralized implementation was far and away the most common challenge that leaders cited. I think I think something like almost 60% said it was one of their key challenges. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we discovered, and this probably won't, won't surprise you, um, is that the places where leaders of innovation tended to lean, like if they leaned a little more towards centralization or towards decentralization, um, it was often driven by their larger district or CMO context, right? So very centralized districts were more likely to central, you know, to uh, implement new innovations in a centralized way. Um, but the, the really, you know, I think the most important thing that we learned is that figuring out how to combine these approaches or maybe more appropriately, how to navigate through the tension um, isn't a formula, right? There was no, we didn't, we didn't come away and say, oh, okay, now we get it. Mm -hmm. Schools <laughs> should always have autonomy over like curriculum choices, but the district should have control over professional development. I mean, that's just not at all what we heard. What we heard is that districts that seem to be managing this tension successfully had taken the time to think through what the benefits of each of those things really are, right? They didn't kind of write off one or the other um, off the bat. So for example, they kind of understood that centralization was really about efficiency and alignment between schools decentralization offered things like um, a diversity of ideas and also gave an opportunity for more agency for principals and teachers. And so it wasn't about saying like, should we push for alignment or should we push for agency? It was about saying, where is alignment really important to us given our larger district strategy and where is agency really important to us? And then how do we set up an implementation plan that maximizes those things? So one example that I really love is um, the Greeley Evans School District in Colorado. Um, they're a sort of a medium, small, medium-sized district. They serve about 20,000 students. And they have these very clear district goals to offer each student um, a personalized learning plan. They care a lot about school autonomy, though. And they were trying to figure out, okay, if we care about school autonomy, but we have these centralized district goals, how are we going to resolve that tension? And so the way they approached it was to develop a team in the central office that created a core competency to run visioning and design sessions for schools. They just became really good at design thinking and thinking about how to help uh, school teams do that themselves. And then they centralized the design process, but the schools had autonomy around how they would get to the end goal of personalization. And so that, that to me was a really nice example of um, sort of navigating through those competing priorities. So what are, were a couple of other competing priorities that um, you uncovered as you were doing this work? Yeah, uh, so one um, that we heard a lot was figuring out how to sort of both develop the best talent and, um, and resource pipeline inside the school system while still making good use of external help and resources, right? Where do you kind of bring stuff in? Where do you develop it inside? And, and people understanding that, um, 
you know, procuring things like products or services externally can be a lot more efficient. It can be tried and true. You can make um, like use of expertise uh, that you don't have in house, but at that at the same time, you really want to develop this this sort of internal talent and um, and capacity in order for for your work to really be sustainable. So that was something that we heard a lot about when when people were thinking about scale and sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, we also heard pretty frequently this tension between the pressure to show quick early successes, you know, as a way to garner support for new initiatives versus the knowledge that real system change takes time, right? So, you know, things like test scores don't change overnight. And so, as I'm sure you know, and so, right, <laughs> they didn't want to sort of maximize short-term outcomes at the expense of long-term progress. And so that was another really big one that we heard. So your uh, white paper uh, addresses these these seven questions and then also finishes with uh, some little bonus material, I thought, and that is the, <laughs> the reflection guides at the end, which are particularly helpful, I think, to help the readers having consumed that that content to really start to think about how they can uniquely apply them to their specific context. So talk to us a little bit about the reflection guides that you developed and and how might leaders looking to transform systems use these most effectively? I'm so happy that you're asking about the reflection <laughs> guides. Can I tell you? Because we're very excited about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really speak to our philosophy at the Learning Accelerator to be practical. Um, you know, we're not really interested in creating sort of research that will be read and then sits on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think what's the most powerful about the research that we did isn't even necessarily the research itself or even the particular strategies that we surfaced, but that that we're hoping to provide opportunities for leaders and their teams to use these ideas to kind of surface and create their own strategies. Um, and so And so these guides are about sort of making this all actionable. The guides do this in two ways. Um, first, we offer a set of reflection questions, um, first sort of all the way through the paper, but also in a guide at the end that we call laying the groundwork. And those reflection questions give teams a structured way to think about why they're choosing the particular approach to innovation that they're excited about. Um, We think that why is really important. And by the way, we heard that also time and time again Mm -hmm. from the folks that we talked to, that if you don't have a North Star for why you're doing this work, everything is just going to be an Mm -hmm. add-on. And so... We wanted to offer a a sort of a structured way to think through what are the outcomes that you're trying to enable? What are the values driving them? What's the context in which you're working? Um, So that's sort of one of our reflection approaches. Then we also have a reflection guide that leads teams through a process to identify their implementation pathway through these particular seven questions. Um, and, you know, we can think of it as a kind of a diagnostic for where the district or CMO currently sits. So, for example, you know, how centralized or decentralized has your thinking been or does your approach tend to be? And then um, that can serve first as a way to sort of identify gaps between your kind of current state and where you'd like to be. But we also recommend it as a way to identify differences between stakeholders. So if you give these kinds of questions to different groups, to 
teachers, to admin, even to parents, and ask them how they perceive what the district pathway has been. And then the leadership can take a look at it and realize, oh, you know what? You know, teachers think we're super centralized and we think we're super decentralized. Mm -hmm. What does that mean about the way we've been approaching this? It just gives a lot of great information to the leadership team. And we think it can serve as sort of a like a foundational conversation to develop their next sort of piece of their strategic implementation plan. Well, and you've really you've really captured the essence of those guides. So I would definitely invite our listeners to accept that invitation to not only dig into the white paper, but uh, really spend some time with those reflection guides because that's where you'll get your uh, bang for the buck, so to speak, uh, spending <laughs> the time uh, on the paper. But through that reflection guide at the end will really help you out. I think your point is well made. Um, Ellie, that we also need to engage other stakeholders in those questions because our perception of the responses, and I'm, I'm particularly thinking about decentralization versus centralization, are probably very different from um, teachers in our buildings and, and our building leaders. And even there may be even variables in by different schools. So um, the importance right. of gauging, engaging others in that reflection is, is noted too. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So before we invite you to share what's next for you, let's hear your ideas um, to a couple of our lightning response questions. And the purpose of these questions is to give our listeners some additional resources to go um, if they click in our show notes that and um, want to learn a little bit more after listening to the podcast. All right, I'm ready. Okay, so who is one <laughs> expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about system-wide change in schools? You know, honestly, I think the most important experts are the system leaders, <laughs> like like the ones that we cite in the white paper. You know, I mean, they're the ones that are doing the work every day. Um, and I'm so sorry, I can't name just one because it would just be wrong. Sure. <laughs> um, but in the white paper, we actually do offer the names and the contact information of each of the system leaders that we profiled. So that's a really great start if people want to learn um, how system change is happening across the country. Okay, good suggestion and referring us back to that paper. So if you were recommending one book to our listeners, what might that book be? Oh, there are so many good books. <laughs> um, one that our team has been digging into recently is um, Julia Freeland Fisher's new book called Who You Know. Um, that book explores how um, schools and teachers can help students build stronger relationships, you know, because we all know that equity gaps in, in achievement and opportunity, they're not just driven by academics, you know, they're also driven by the social capital that kids can draw on. Mm -hmm. And we think this is a really important conversation to be having. So I, I, would, I would check out that book. All right, great. Thank you. Mm. And um, finally, what is one online site or resource or maybe even another professional or person with whom you connect or learn from regularly? So I'm a podcast junkie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love them, um, especially those that are sort of explicitly not in the education field um, because you can get a ton of new ideas listening to people who work in a different sector than you. And I particularly love um, the show On Being, which is hosted um, by a woman named Krista Tippett. She features these conversations about spirituality and science and humanity. Um, they're just beautiful. 
And um, I would also be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to a show called Reply All, which does really deep investigative journalism into um, anything to do with the internet. And it's super interesting, really, really fun show. And um, I've actually learned a lot from them that I've applied back to, to my work in education. All right, great. Thank you for sharing those resources with us. All right, so our last question. What's next for you in the Learning Accelerator? What are you working on that you'd like to share? Uh, well, TLS work is, is all about helping practitioners develop and scale great instructional practices. So I would say, you know, much of our work will continue to focus on that and understanding the challenges that educators are facing on the ground, um, as well as how they're designing and, and implementing strategies to tackle those challenges. So we're excited about a network of 15 school systems that we're currently working with um, that are helping us dig a little deeper into some key areas, which include um, curricular resources and uh, meaningfully integrating social emotional learning strategies into their change efforts and uh, sharing resources for teacher training. So we're going to be sharing all those sort of learnings and tools back um, openly on our website. That's, that's, uh, that's a big part of what we do is to share tools openly uh, on our website. And we would love feedback as, as we continue to share that work. Well, we will continue following the Learning Accelerator and see how that work develops over the course of the next couple months and years. So thank you so much for joining us, Ellie. Um, in the show notes, we listed some information for our, for our listeners, um, a link to the paper, some personal contact information, um, the book you suggested, Who You Know, and those podcasts on being and Reply All. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question... How can you embrace the seven key questions and look both ways to accelerate change in your organization? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season five, episode 14. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Ellie. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks, you both. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.